Welcome to Infection Prevention Spotlight with Certified Infection Control Nurse, Kara Mullane. Welcome to the research behind infection prevention, where Dr. Mohammed Yassin provides tough questions to top researchers and leaders in their field. This podcast is a collaboration between Infection Prevention Spotlight and the American Journal of Infection Control. If you're interested to find out more on these topics, please go to the August 2020 edition of AGIC. Today, we have the pleasure to hear from Dr. Elizabeth Beam from the University of Nebraska Medical Center as she discusses her research on respiratory protection education in the context of healthcare worker safety. We'll also be sharing the summary of a major article on environmental contamination of SARS-CoV-2 during the COVID-19 outbreak in South Korea and summarizing a state-of-the-science review article on MRSA and VRE co-colonization in patients. So please, stay tuned. I'm pleased to share the summary from Dr. Mohamed Yassin on the major article, A Simulation Approach to Measure Critical Safety Behaviors When Evaluating Training Methods for Respirator Education in Healthcare Workers. This is an interesting publication from the University of Nebraska Medical Center led by Dr. Elizabeth Beam, faculty at the University of Nebraska Medical Center College of Nursing. The aim of the study is to prove healthcare worker safety via improving donning and doffing of N95 respirators. The study recognizes N95 respirators as the most effective tool for prevention of airborne particles. Despite the widespread use of N95 respirators, they are frequently not used properly. Authors recognize that we need better design to be more tolerable, but we need more effective tools to improve better use and safety for healthcare workers. Now for Dr. Mohamed Yassin's questions to Dr. Beam. Dr. Beam, your study has touched such an important aspect of infection prevention. There's no time that personal protective equipment or PPE has been proven essential for safety of healthcare workers as well as patient protection like now. Your study focused on improvement of safe N95 use. Your study demonstrates important results. The use of reflective practice intervention or self-scoring using the critical safety behavior scoring tool or CSBST, was associated with significantly higher safety behavior scores. I have a few questions that I hope you could share your expertise with us. This study emphasizes that assuring adequate implementation of a successful intervention may be as important as the intervention itself. Self-scoring using the critical safety behavior scoring tool is a tool to measure the performance of healthcare workers on specific targeted safety behaviors. May I ask you to comment more about the tool's strengths and benefits? There are certainly strengths and benefits to the critical safety behavior scoring tool. I think one of the strengths is that it's very organized. It really focuses on um, expectations we have for the behaviors of both donning and then doffing the respirator, being really specific about things like where the straps are placed on the head, making sure that you've actually completed your seal check, and then only touching straps as you remove and being very gentle about that motion um, as you uh, 
uh, remove the respirator. The other component that I think is a real benefit is the focus on hand hygiene. Um, that was certainly something that we saw in the study that we need to make sure that people are attending to um, as they're using this device to make sure that they're staying safe. Great. Thank you for that. Now, on to the post-test results. They were impressively improved as compared to the pretest. Would you comment on the reasons behind the difference? And do you solely relate the effect to the tool? In order to explain the difference that we saw between our two groups, I think it's important to understand why we designed the intervention the way we did. We selected the interventions to be very reproducible in a very practical way. And so we chose a video that was available freely to people. We also chose a process, essentially video recording someone's performance and then allowing them to watch that recording and score it on a tool. Um, it was meant to be something that most anybody could do with um, limited technology. So we did that um, on purpose so we could take this practical study and, and see what the outcomes were. I think there are a couple of reasons that we saw such a big difference. While the video from the CDC and our checklist mirrored each other fairly well in the content, I would say that our tool emphasized hand hygiene much better. Um, and I think once people had the chance to reflect on that and see the score attributed to it, it drove their attention to that. And that experience at a month's time really enforced for them, I definitely want to make sure I hit all the points. So they maintained a lot of those behaviors. And so I think it's that um, that experience of seeing yourself and um, reflecting on it that created that improvement long term because they knew what the they knew what the goal was. And so I think those elements really made a difference. And it was interesting because the study was designed that really there was no loser. If we did it with just the video and it worked well, great. But if we did this reflective practice piece, it didn't add a whole lot of time. Um, but if it made a difference, cool. Um, so like I said, there was no way to lose in doing the study. And so it was really exciting to see the sustained improvement in behavior because of it. Your manuscript describes a pilot study, and as you just mentioned, it was made to be reproducible. Have you implemented this as part of infection prevention training? This is a pilot study, but I think there's a pretty good chance that it is reproducible. It would certainly be interesting to see. From a research perspective, I would like to um, make our interventions a little more closely connected, make sure that all of the points in the video match the scoring tool and really look at the impact of the video watching versus the reflection. Because I do think the passive and activeness of that is an interesting question. That being said, this was very small and meant to be very practical. And I think it's certainly in a great idea from an education perspective to give it a whirl. I think you could um, try adding this reflection piece to interventions. You certainly don't have to have the rigor that we had for the study with three camera angles and things like that, but trying it and seeing how it impacts um, performance 
in the clinical environment, see how it impacts maybe um, outcomes in your clinical unit. And it may not be for infection control, it may be for something else, but really integrating reflection into the clinical skill you're trying to teach or whatever the case may be. um, I think it's exciting to see if that would work. Absolutely. Well, may I ask you to comment on the possibility of implementing the same method of education and competence in other infection prevention topics, such as hand hygiene, environmental disinfection, operating room etiquette, and attire? So many elements of infection control training are rigorous, and oftentimes they involve an interdisciplinary group. There are so many different types of people we have to educate. I do think there's something to be said for really sitting back and reflecting on how well you did something and examining how repetitious your behavior was, what the quality was, how can I improve my quality. Um, I think there's situations where a single reflection might be helpful and perhaps multiple attempts at showing that you've systematically done something. I think of something as simple as cleaning a table, going ahead and watching yourself perform that skill, and then sitting back and saying, did I do it well enough? And how might I have cleaned and disinfected that surface better and then reattempting it? I think this idea of really perfecting our skills, that's, that's what the video piece and the reflection piece can add to things like infection control. Great. Thank you for that. Now, final question, Dr. Beam. May I ask you to provide some additional comments on logistic or interpretation difficulties of reflective practice intervention? Of special importance is the use of cameras to monitor healthcare worker behavior or competence. Do you expect difficulty with implementation? There are some challenges in implementing a reflective practice intervention. One of them would be Um, the scoring tool you're using, making sure that the participants understand how to score themselves, what is considered something that they get a point for and what is not. You'll notice in the results of our study that the participants perceived they were better at performing the donning and doffing than the experts scored them. And I think while we thought the scoring tool was pretty clear and understandable, I think it's important in future studies to really give them a chance to reflect on the tool and ask any questions that they may have about what is considered a positive score. The other piece I would say is looking at the Hawthorne effect. People will tell you, oh, I hate being video recorded. Um, I think helping people understand that this is an educational tool, it's nothing that will be broadcast, it's strictly for an audience of one. And there's certainly a point where people hate to see themselves on video, but I think the richness of being able to look at how you did something is really important. And if you can get people over that initial hump of embarrassment, um, the value in it is incredibly, it's, it's very worthwhile. Thank you, Dr. Beam, for your thoughtful approach to healthcare workers' safety and behavior change. In today's world, with the pandemic going on, giving us a way to validate how we're doing as we use our personal protection equipment is a matter of life and death. So thanks to you again and your team for this very insightful work. I'm pleased to share the summary from Dr. Mohamed Yassin on the major article, Environmental Contamination of SARS-CoV-2 During the COVID-19 Outbreak in South Korea, from author Byung 
Han Ryu et al. The article states, there is limited evidence of environmental contamination associated with COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. Elemental swabs were collected from the environment outside the patient rooms and tested using PCR with a positive result of 17.5% or 10 out of 57 samples in Hospital A and 3 out of 22 or 13.6% in Hospital B. The study showed that surfaces are heavily contaminated and contact precautions could be important for prevention of COVID-19 infection. The study was done in South Korea's hospital for patients with an airborne precaution for COVID-19. Swabs were collected from high-touch areas commonly identified and stated as bedside tables, monitors, bedside rails, call buttons. According to Dr. Yasin, the study is a simple study with minimal number of samples performed, but has two important results. First, Adequate frequent environmental disinfection is essential to eliminate spread of infection via the environment. The majority of the positive viral PCR samples were obtained from an environment that had not been cleaned for an average of two to three days. And second, PCR is an unreliable technology to investigate the presence of viral particles within the environment. Again, if you'd like to go back and read this full article of the summary you just heard, it can be found in the Ajit August edition, author Byung Han Ryu et al., The Environmental Contamination of SARS-CoV-2 During COVID-19 Outbreak in South Korea. The second summary from Dr. Mohammed Yasin is a State of Science Review article. It is by Ying Wang et al., and it's the Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus aureus and Vancomycin-Resistant Enterococci Co-Colonization in Patients, a meta-analysis. This is a meta-analysis performed at Zhengzhou University, China. The author's inclusion criteria were met in 11 eligible studies. The main results of this meta-analysis study is that the co-colonization of MRSA and VRE was 7%, 95% confidence interval, 5.0 to 9.0%. The major risk factors identified in the study included indwelling devices with an odds ratio of 4, COPD 1.9 being male, and 1.6 diabetes 1.4. The detection of multidrug-resistant organism is important part of surveillance and infection prevention. The detection of co-colonization is helpful in easing infection prevention efforts. This study used molecular PCR and culture as evidence of MRSA or VRE colonization. Authors started from 1,359 studies and eliminated all of the studies except for 52 studies. 41 were excluded as they were either conference papers, case reports, or did not have colonization results. The 11 studies had a total of 10,626 patients, with a majority 8,311, or 78%, from the intensive care unit. The prevalence of MRSA colonization was 13.5%. 95% confidence interval, 109, 9.9 .9 to 17.1%, and 14.1% for VRE, 95% confidence interval, 8.2 to 20%. The colonization prevalence of MRSA was 11%, and VRE 12%. 
and co-colonization was 7%, 95% confidence interval, 5.0 to 9.0%. Table 1 showed summary of the studies included 8 were prospective and 3 were retrospective. PCR was the detection methods for 7 studies. Only 2 studies that were prospective had more than 1,000 patients. In both the studies, the prevalence of VRE colonization was significantly lower than the rest of the studies. The co-colonization rate was also very variable between the studies. It was as low as 2% and as high as 20%. Comments by Dr. Mohamed Yassin. I do believe that this study has significant results that could be beneficial for different healthcare facilities to investigate for their actual rate and to redirect their own infection prevention surveillance policies. I do not feel that these risk factors are going to be reproducible in all the studies in the future. However, the prevalence of indwelling catheters was a very important finding that needs to be verified with future studies. Again, if you'd like to go back and read this full article of the summary you just heard, it can be found in the Agit August edition, and it is from Ying Wang et al. The title, Methicillin-Resistant Staphylococcus aureus and Vancomycin-Resistant Enterococci Co-Colonization in Patients, a Meta-Analysis. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to find out more, please do go to the August 2020 edition of AGIC to read the full articles. From the American Journal of Infection Control and Infection Prevention Spotlight, thank you for all you do to prevent infections. Take care, and please remember, wash your hands.